0: All right, everybody, and welcome back to Metalheads. This is our podcast. We are the band Metal, M E T T L E. We're an alternative rock band based in Southern California. And this podcast, we talk about music, we talk about our music, writing, our influences, Um, we talk about the industry, our experiences. Typically, our little uh, structure here is we have a band or an artist of the week that we all discuss. Again, we're talking about you Know their impact, how they influence us and in our writing, and just kind of interesting stuff about them. Um, again, friendly reminder I am Megan Rice, I am the vocalist.
1: I am Scott Gossett, and I play guitar, sometimes lead bass, <laughs> never
2: lead bass. Zachary, uh, I'm the bloody Tang, and I play bloody bass.
0: And for the <laughs> first time. We have our drummer Roy Hernandez. Yes,
2: that's right. <laughs> Full band podcast cast Fast. cast cast yeah cast, yeah, cast. yeah yeah yeah.
3: <laughs> yes, uh, my name is Roy Hernandez. I I am the drummer of Metal M E T T L E. Yes, I'm not on the and I love it. I love it so far. So good. Um, I'm so excited to be part of the band, and you will be hearing from me. Uh more for me uh soon through this podcast and um we're we're gonna have fun so cool well we're mm-hmm. stoked to
0: have you and uh yeah hopefully we can keep roy on the podcast as a regular i know he's busy too busy for us because he's cool he's got shit to do <laughs> 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 but this episode we're actually talking about counting crows it was scott's week to pick and that was his band so scott why don't you uh Start talking about Counting Crows.
1: Sweet. Well, uh, yeah. So Counting Crows is a 90s band in what I feel is like the loosest sense of the term when people think about 90s bands. When people think about 90s bands, they immediately go to grunge, like the Nirvanas and Alice in Chains type bands of the time, or alternative rock bands like Smashing Pumpkins, Cranberries, Foo Fighters, et cetera. What what I think is really weird about that era, era is that it seems like distortion had defined the 90s. There, there wasn't really rock bands. Like, they, like there are, you know, some like, but they almost lean more toward like a pop edge, like, like gin blossoms or even things like matchbox 20 that people wouldn't really consider a, like a band per se. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of fall more into that vibe, but really in the nineties, it was really defined by those, you know, big gain distortion bands like Nirvana. and, I'd actually kind of like to start talking about that. And it's why, especially even nowadays and even beginning back then, does everybody seem to associate that big distortion sound with rock music now? Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't think of any band that's out today that's considered a rock band that just doesn't have a big, thick guitar sound. Mm -hmm. So if there was something that was good about a time, just because that time has passed, that means that it's not relevant anymore. Exactly. Somehow right. it's
0: past equals bad present equals good. You
1: know? Yeah. And like, what's also weird is that it just seems like, especially now the level of aggression is what people associate with rock music. Like, I'm not going to say that I like Maroon five. Cause I actually just don't. I mean, like there'll be like the occasional mm-hmm. song that you're like, Oh, that's catchy, but they do technically play what rock music is or at least like when they first came they out did, they yeah. did now it's you know it's or a pop, it's a bro. fucking joke yeah exactly but they like they dance. did at the time you know what i mean and it's really weird too that it always seems like angst and anger is what really defines rock music mm-hmm. now there are very few bands that people consider legit that are not heavy or angsty but van halen you know, i was
0: gonna of, say yeah, yeah like not to cut off your point but and i think even roy could potentially talk on this is yeah. that I was under the impression that rock was defined by the beat that the mm-hmm. actual drum beat
1: the idea of the backbeat in is, the 4/4 is
0: what was the s- essentially essence of what rock is Yes exactly right. yeah and yeah i mean do you...
3: But bands like Led Zeppelin you know the Who they really you know brought those drums to like really ins- inspire other people to play rock and roll and it, it was a matter of just drums, distortion, but the lyrics were not that aggressive. Exactly. They were not just like nowadays, you know. Yeah. It's just so different. But it's just a different level of excitement, you know, Mm -hmm. bringing the distortion and uh, different lyrics and and bringing the vintage uh, sound uh, to today's bands. I think that's very interesting, but... um,
2: and marking on that, uh, before we move on to the history of them is, um, I think where we, you're talking about with the angst and anger, why aggression starts. It's like with, um, I think it kind of started more like Motley Crue, um, where they were like really heavy and aggro and how they were. And it kind of started, a I think a movement that way and it seems like ever since then there's been a pissing contest of who's the heaviest band and now we have deathcore, and because like it happened well, with the it, metal too
1: just like just cut you off for a second mm-hmm. i agree with you to an extent w- what's weird about motley Crue is is that they they were more dark in the like black Sabbath way of dark where they were about like, like the evil, like with the the shout at the devil, like that kind of thing. But I mean, they still have like girls,
2: girls, girls. Right. Well, I'm just, it wasn't very angsty. You know what I mean? Well, I'm just saying that's like the tip of the iceberg where this comes, like they, they didn't necessarily want to be like that, but like they just were. And then how people react to it affected everyone to where like, Oh, we're going to start being heavier. And then there was this butterfly effect to where now we have, um, not cannibal corpse now, but like, you know, like Chelsea grin, there was a, like, you know, because yeah, yeah, like, this yeah. is the heaviest.
1: Well, now. It, what I was going to say though, is that I actually don't think that it starts there. I think okay. that it starts with the grunge bands like Nirvana and that yeah. when they start to turn into that angsty existential kind of thing right. as actually a rejection of what the eighties glam rock stuff. Was. That's kind of fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a fair point. Yeah, back to a much less aggressive band. (laughs) So. We can get into their history a little bit. They were formed in 1991 in Berkeley with Adam Durowitz as lead singer, um, David Bryson on guitar, Charlie Gillyham, uh, Gillingham, Gillingham. I, don't, I don't really know how to pronounce that, mm-hmm. on piano, um, mm-hmm. another guitar player, David Vickery, and David Immerick on, uh, Immergluck Immergluck. on guitar. that He has umlauts in his name, Gluck. and that's so I should like know him. how to pronounce yeah. that better then. Um yeah. And then Jim Bozios on drums. I don't even know if that's right. <laughs> Dude, like, all their names suck. I don't know yeah, I don't really know. Holy oh, shit! Except for yeah. except for Millard Powers on base. <laughs> just, just sounds like somebody who should have been like somebody who Rocky was fighting in the. It Rocky sounds like release. Austin
2: Powers, like weird accountant. Yeah, that, that was also his assume. brother. You know, yeah. like Millard Powers. Well. <laughs> what's what's super cool about them is that
1: they had a big advantage right off the bat. David Bryson, their guitar player, the, the the main one, he had actually owned a recording studio and he had originally wanted to be a producer. And that enabled them to make demos that sounded light yeah. years better than any other band mm-hmm. like in the area straight up. So it just made them seem more Out legit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And much bigger than they were just immediately. One thing that I find weird about that is, what is it about a, like the sound quality of your music, just based off of your pure recording, yeah. that sells you on an artist? Is it somehow a subconscious like social proof that if their recording sounds good, people must already like them? Well,
0: I will weigh in on this first, because we have seen this firsthand, and I think it's very interesting. When we were working on our demos for 27 Ghosts, our first EP... We did some uh, crowdsourcing where we looked at uh, people's actual ratings of our songs. They were sent our demos from home and they had to rate it and give feedback. And we did that for, what, 75 people or 100 people yeah. and, and got a good you know demographic of what people think. And then this was for Red and Blue especially. Then we went and did Red and Blue professionally and submitted it. And although the rating was a little bit better, the bizarre thing about it is it wasn't that much better. So I understand that. I think that there's an I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think it becomes one of those like like plateau effects where if the demo is that horrific, people are probably not going to care. But at a certain point, I under I, I I seem to think that the untrained ear almost can't really tell.
1: Well, I don't know. The, the only way I would disagree is that not to like float my own boat, <laughs> but kind of like what they're saying with this guy, I feel like the demos that I record, because I have a pretty good knowledge of what yeah. recording is, it almost sounds like it could be close, close enough. enough to that level to where people would you Fair know enough. get that thing. To me, it's more like when a recording just sounds like garbage, people aren't even going to listen to the song just to hear like, oh, is this catchy? It sounds unpleasant. Yeah, sometimes though. I mean, if everything is like in tune, yeah. if everything's on time, yeah. but yeah. it just kind of sounds more muddy and muddled and just not that professional, I feel like where I was going with the social proof well, thing no, I, is I is that. that if you sound like your recording sounds amateur, people are already going to take you as that. And the social proof aspect is, oh, if they sound professional, they must be, so I must need to like them more than if you sounded amateur, well, it's like now it's up to me. If I listen to this, I'm going to judge how good I think that they are. And a lot of people actually, as weird as it sounds, they don't even have the ability to judge that themselves. A lot of people just follow based on, is this
2: popular? Cool. Well, then I guess it's okay for me to like it. I, I guess all I have to say is like, I just think it's a funny parallel with our band. This is the first like real band I've ever been in. Like the rest of them have just been like, bad metal bands and punk bands where i was just like i just need to learn how to shred which is the only reason i can do anything in this man is because like i can just play stuff but like you know like it's just there's no taste and there's no like intellect behind the music and it's just i don't know it's it's still it's like to me being on different level like a different playing field you know oh
1: yeah i mean i made the the painter example before of all the people who can be very good at painting the same landscape painting, but how many people can paint in a different way that makes you think, because this is the way they want to show you what that landscape looks like, as opposed to just, Oh, I can paint the landscape. Look how good I am at doing that. But can I paint it in a way that reflects how I view it and something that's personal about me, just that like what it invokes from me, like, Oh, I see this. And it's like, so, awe striking, like how do I show everybody
2: how this painting, I mean, how this landscape makes me What I see, and that's why like Van Gogh and Picasso were so great, yeah.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say that in music, it would be better if you find someone that can bring their own ideas, their own, you know, feelings to the sound. Doesn't matter if he's a professional or if he knows, you know, barely minimum about recording, because nowadays it's just, I mean, you can have a home studio, yeah, like perfectly ready to go for the recording session. But are you going to put those tracks on the hands of someone that is just kind of knowing? Or are you going to go and put those tracks on someone that you know that he's going to bring some, you know, some colors, some feelings out of? Definitely. Uh, the songs oh so, you're talking about
0: like the creativity of the actual exactly. uh, mixer and engineer exactly it brings in, it's almost like another musician it's like another
1: element i, I actually like the fifth agree with that oh yeah so
0: kind of like i see what you're saying so you're saying that like part of the reason why people might tell the difference mm. is because you're actually getting another you know musician's touch to it bringing in and maybe tying things oh thing- Ooh, i'm sorry hanging that uh tying things together. I yeah, no. That makes that's a really good point.
2: I totally agree because Sean is I feel like just as much a part of what the sound of what's left of the lizard is as much as like I mean, like we made the basis and the, the bones and meat of it, but I feel like he put skin on it. No, you yeah, know what I mean? It's a good point. Sean because, being the producer of yeah, what's left of the lizard for listeners. Yeah, people will say that there's a drastic
1: difference in sound between what's left of the lizard and twenty seven ghosts and being realistic the only thing that changed was the person who was doing it yeah you know what i mean because we were still writing the same type of songs that we would have always written but yeah. the person who was putting their touch on it really defined how the yeah. the actual ep sounded
2: the bass lines were hotter but that's not that's
1: yeah, you really know they, they did what they did they're hot but yeah but <laughs> probably
0: moving moving yeah, right moving along <laughs>
1: But back to Counting Crows. At the time, they didn't know any record label people. I mean, as most normal people wouldn't, I would assume. But they they knew that their friend's dad was a lawyer. So they were like, (laughs) well, you know, he makes money. He can do (laughs) things. So maybe he could figure out how to, like, help us out. So they sent their demo to the lawyer, you know, because he would be such an authority on such things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he liked it, like, immediately. So he's like, I don't really know what I can do, but I know that... I have the legal power to contact scare these boys. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, and so he started sending out their demo to a bunch of different music managers, and I think that probably what they were doing was we're probably going to sound a lot more legit if somebody who's from like a law office is contacting these managers more than like, hey, we're these regular derps. Here's a CD.
2: You could like it, I guess. Hey, I'm Mr. Imiclick. Can you listen <laughs> yeah, yeah, to my yes,
1: exactly, <laughs> yeah, CD? <exactly. laughs> so. So they, after that, they actually ended up getting with their manager, Martin Kirkup, and another manager named Steven Jensen. I mean, I don't know who these people are. I just know that those are their managers, so that's where that comes from. But um, after they became their managers, those guys set up a showcase for them at a spot in San Francisco called The Ivy. And after that showcase, almost every record label at the time wanted Ever. to sign them. So and cool. Adam said that the way he picked the record label was many of the record labels just wanted to release their demos that they recorded as the album because it already sounded so good. And for whatever reason, he hated that they like, he hated that they just wanted to do the demo instead of like an actual album and refused to sign with any of them. That's very weird to me. I, like, yes what do you, no. I was going to say, what do you guys think he was he was feeling I was
0: about to say yeah. and not to cut no, you're you good, sharp, yeah, go for it now that we're talking and the point Roy brought up I wonder if it's because he wanted that third not third like He's extra like, person perspective. I matter yeah.
1: God matters and then the producer matters. <laughs> well it's just that
0: outsider perspective that yeah. extra touch well, or he, maybe he yeah, well, well maybe right. he, he wanted somebody to come in and see something or work on something or or you know, take it to the next level and didn't want just somebody passively releasing the demo.
2: Like he didn't consider himself a professional level producer or wasn't maybe like he wanted some, like he didn't want that to be there. Like maybe he wanted to right out of the gate, be the professional album sound is what everyone heard. And he didn't want to have like what he did prevent, like produced as an demo be like their first impression or something, you know, he was like, no, like I want you to produce this and make sure it's like a hit for sure. Because I don't have the faith in my own producing yet. I like that. That's kind of where I would think it would be.
0: I I mean, I can only talk from my own perspective and as Megan, the, vocalist and, and metal. I mm-hmm. just, when I was thinking of a producer, obviously there's the skill that like the, that goes, oh, in. Yeah. you know, you just don't have those, tr- that training.
1: Well, you don't know what you don't know. Like we always say, but
0: you, what I wanted more than just the technical side of it was that extra ear was that objective third party coming in and going, your song could need this. It would be better if we added this. And even though they were small little additions and touches, I do feel like they put the bow around it in a way that an only an outsider could do.
1: And for me anyway, like especially when we first started working with Eric, because he did spend so much time working with a lot of big bands in the 2000s. It's almost like, you know what something that people are going to like sounds like. Sure. So maybe you hear our song and you go, no, no, that's all wrong for this reason. Like something that we can't understand. Like, Oh, we just made the song and we, we actually liked how it sounded, yeah. but right. is there something that we're missing that we don't actually know that we're supposed to know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Um, they started to record that first album and everybody knows what it is. It's called August and everything after. And they all moved into a house together and started laying down the tracks. Mm. Um, we <laughs> love this idea. I like Adam said that he hated recording studios and I don't disagree with him. Yeah. Like I actually would love to do this same thing because I feel like you behave how you feel like you should behave in an environment. Like if I go into a hospital, I'm going to be quiet and I'm not going to like act out and be super loud and crazy. But if I'm just around my friends, I'm going to act different. So if I go into a recording studio where I don't know anybody, and another annoying thing about recording studios is, is that they dote on you hand and foot, and you can't even like, oh, I want to get coffee. They're like, no, 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 we'll get somebody to do that. It's almost so, awkward. Yeah, it is yeah, very awkward, yeah. exactly. So they like have people who go get coffee for you, yeah. and then you just sit there, and you're like, okay, well, cool, I guess this, this is what I do. Oh, I want an energy drink. Yeah, yeah, no, no we got that. And you're like, ugh, like, can I just do my thing? Like, you don't really feel like you can get into who you are. Mm-hmm. So I think that that idea of like working in it like in a house with just the band and whoever your producer is and the recording stuff would
2: actually allow you to feel more comfortable and let
1: a lot more of yourself out for the recording process.
2: And Incubus did the same thing. When our last episode we talked about that, they did the same thing on the Morning View album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we said the kind of the same thing. Like, well, not like we touched on new points here, but it's like. Yeah, like that just seems like a great idea for a creative environment.
0: I actually have – I'm divided on this. I would not mind coming fully prepared into the house to plainly record it. But the difference is is that Incubus and Counting Crows were there for like a better part of a year and wrote it and recorded it. This is where I differ. I would 100% agree it's a nicer environment the one of the pros that they talked about was that each room had its own sound. So depending upon where they recorded, you actually got the you actually get to feel the space of whatever room they're in, which is great. It does feel more intimate that way. It feels more raw. Um, but I could not write. I don't think with.
2: And you're not home.
0: In my own, yeah. When no, I but also
1: like with like other people around. Sometimes, like yeah, sometimes like, she just needs like. I'm you know.
0: very weird in the in that way that I can't write. Like, it's very frustrating. It's very distracting when it's just me and Scott. Scott is like an invisible person. Sometimes he could just kind of. Fade into the wall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> People could see what I was doing right now on the podcast, but they can't. And he, I and was pretending to be invisible, and I don't really know how that works. And he
0: really, I mean, you know, we're married, so I guess it's like, no shit, we know each other. But, but he understands when I just need it. I'm. Working And I'm in the zone. Like, I don't need somebody telling me if I'm humming through a melody or picking something. Oh, I like that. Or, oh, uh, oh, what's that you're doing? It's like, shut up. Don't even comment on it. I don't even know what I like. I don't even know if I like this. I don't even want to honestly even uh, address you for commenting on it. I'm like, I get so hyper focused and I actually can't block things out that I need it around me to be like controlled and not chaotic And not have like too many interruptions. Honestly, I will put on like a song that we're working on for hours. And sit in the living room or in my room with it playing out here. Just because it's like in my my bed, I'm in my space. And I just zone out and like read and think. And I I don't know if I could do that in a house full of people. I mean, even if it's my own band, I don't know.
2: I can get that to a point because, like, there's sometimes, and it's obviously not at the same point, but like, there's a certain thing that I'm trying to like hone in on, and someone tries to talk to me, it'll be like a 10 minute span, but like, I'll just be like frustrated. I'll be like, I'm, ah, I'm trying to get this, <laughs> like, you know, like leave me alone, and you know, I think we all can get like that to a point, of course, but like, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's also harder with melodies and lyrics, but yeah, I would, I would think like
3: as a singer, you probably Megan, uh, like sometimes get. This idea, this thought that you wanna like write it down or maybe record it, you yeah. know? So I would agree to just have this, the home studio accessible to a point that you can just go and not without asking anyone yeah. like permission or something, just record something. Uh, but for myself as a drummer, I'd rather uh, be prepared um, on my own, just yeah. work the songs and, and then just show up at the studio and ready to record.
0: Yeah, so. and any tweaking or whatever that can happen is fine by me even like when we go into the studio and I don't have uh we don't have uh, harmonies prepared and we come up with different ones or whatever. Right. Like that doesn't bother me but the meat and potatoes of it I don't know if I could pull that off. To be honest with you, yeah. I well, don't what's know. so
2: hard about it too is it's not just a melody. Like you're also putting words to these melodies and yeah. meanings in a story, yeah. which is so different. Like I mean, yes, there are like sounds and things. Yeah, we Yeah, like trying to dive controls. into an emotion. But yeah, yeah like the, with a whole story you're trying to produce, also with the melody sounding good, it's it's like you're doing two things at once. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that being like taking a whole nother level of like mental isolation because. Like, I don't, it's not like when I play a C, it's saying like cheese. (laughs) Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just making the sound. So, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I've never really done it. So, I I respect that a lot. After they all left the home Uh and the record was done,
1: they faced an issue that we feel actually kind of plagues us is that everybody liked the songs, but where do they fit in? They said that there was no radio stations that thought their style fit anything. They were just too old for traditional teen driven top 40 type of stuff and too young for a classic rock style station. So the traditional music station I his mean, traditional music system didn't really have a place for them. Yeah. Then they were able to get a gig on Saturday night live and that's when they
2: exploded that's crazy that you go to from the back, finding a radio station to Saturday Night Live too. Like, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, it, it is very wild. But this
1: is something that Megan always talks about. I could probably let her elaborate in, on in a minute. But it's back then, music was curated by people. It wasn't really cu- curated by the labels as much because record label, uh, record, not record labels. Sorry, radio stations had the ability to choose what they played back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, all radio stations are bought out and they're going to play the same stupid five songs over and over and over again. Because
2: I like it like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like Cardi yeah. B. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no control over what they play. But yeah. back then... People could go to a show and yeah. they'd say, you know, judging by the response, everybody loves this band. Everybody hates this band. I mean, even back to like the stupid stuff you'd see from the 1920s where somebody get up on stage, and people be throwing tomatoes at them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Seriously. the people really curated what the music was. And I think that that's what happened when they went on Saturday Night Live is now that you just shove them in front of a mass audience – And people got to decide whether they liked him or not. It didn't matter if you were young, if you were old, if you were whatever. Yes. If, you know, if people thought it was good music, then bam. Yeah. You know, the ratings shoot through the roof and then all of a sudden everybody knows that they're good.
0: And everyone had an ear for what, for actually making their own mind up as to what music they liked. I mean, at the same time, and you know, what his name, Adam or whatever, was lamenting about this, that, uh, he, uh didn't want to have like the hootie and the blowfish effect because the same thing you know hootie and the blowfish didn't have an appeal that was specifically like one certain genre oh he's looking at a
1: bunch of dads
0: yeah exactly they don't have like a look to (laughs) them that's so
1: true yeah
0: they just were yeah like you said just a bunch of dad looking (laughs) people but their music was so catchy Catchy, that it exploded and people couldn't you know stop loving it so i think that that you're right. Like it it was one of those situations that we can definitely identify with that we don't fit a specific genre and and we're fighting an even worse battle right now with the state of music. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely nuts. Because you don't even have
1: the option of being played on a radio station. So how do you get heard Period. No. I mean, I feel like the the direction that we're trying to take just by running Facebook ads with our songs is kind of that same Saturday Night Live approach where we're going to send this out there to find the people who like us. Yeah. Because if they like us, they'll come follow us on Facebook or they'll go listen on Spotify or whatever. And that's it.
0: But you don't have uh, the luxury of the reach of Saturday Night Live hitting X million people. Immediately. Immediately mm-hmm. and being a top-rated show. And and also the... the um, uh, the connotation, the cloud that that's what I was it, yeah. about to say, that, that comes with, oh, well, if they're on Saturday Night Live, there must be something to watch. So it's just, it's a whole nother system that just absolutely sucks. As I've said a billion times, the industry right now is, you know, and I'm I'm—I'm not an anti-capitalist, but it's as capitalistic and automated as it gets. Anybody in the industry Wants to just make money. They don't mm-hmm. want to make music for the for the art of it. They want to mass produce something it's purely that, business. That they yep purely business. That they know will sell. And the reason why they think they know it will sell is because they've literally got it down to an algorithm. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not even about curating artists. It's not about you know freaking a and R departments developing artists it's they don't even want to take a risk it's like you could even try to argue like oh well you know pop music in the 90s i don't care what you say pop music in the 90s is still light years beyond what it is now right now it's actually in my opinion we've all made we've all made this joke that it's like they're almost playing a joke on the mass populace by saying how stupid and terrible can we make something and still have Dumbasses gobble it all up. Yep.
2: Well, they also like scientifically know the rhythms that stick in humans' brains. Oh, I was gonna easiest. get to that. Yeah, to
1: say Max Martin in the '90s, who was a pro- well, yeah, 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 in the '90s, was a producer that did you know everybody under the sun at that time. Like he did Backstreet Boys songs, he did Britney Spears songs, he did NSYNC songs, and he claimed to have found an algorithm pretty much that just he knew that whatever song he made could be a catchy, good song and be a hit. Yeah. And so once people figure that out, they're like, okay, no, 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 this is just a business. Yeah. And all we're going to do is just base our music off of these things so that that way, no matter what, you're going to have to like it. And yeah. people just do psychologically. because yeah. they don't So it's like, think well, then it. why well, not? And it's if they also, know that they can just hit like.
0: It's also that paired with marketing and understanding psychology, yeah. social psychology, in that you now know how to force somebody into liking something that is not even good? You take something that's basically rudimentary, you know, like triggering a brain based off of, or you're triggering your your mind to, you know, gravitate towards it based off, of, like you said, this algorithm. And then you have this other manipulation of just intense marketing. Like they've completely everything is so controlled now, and everything is so they so uh, uh, manufactured so that you just ingest it and consume it. It's not like they're going oh. Please like this. We're going to put this out and cross our fingers. Let's hope that you like it. They're going to make you We're like going to beat it. Beat you over the head with it. Yeah, because oh, yeah. they have now. Like I said, marketing is is just psychology. They have completely figured out human behavior and how the mind processes information, and have de- have delivered this to you so that you have no other option. And that's what absolutely kind of sucks is that you've they've taken you know mainstream media has literally sucked the life out of peace, people's everything creat- really his Man, creativity and, and people's personal identities and have just been like, I'm going to program you like your little computers. Well,
1: and this is a topic all on its own that I think is like crap. Like how far down the rabbit hole can you go? Cause it makes me think too, like, you know, we had like some person who was trying to trash us online saying that, you know, it was just Megan and her hired guns Ugh. in the video that it was like, uh, like this was like set up like the same way we're talking about by a record label. And this is all just stuff that we make ourselves. Yeah. None of this, like obviously we wish, you know what I mean? Yeah, Like yeah, it would all. Yeah. better at that point but no like it just stuff that we do at our house no label. yeah well no it
0: wouldn't be better because it's like you know you, i know be cardi b or billy eilish
1: these people though they like you know i could get into the whole camel lion and child Nietzsche thing but that's too much. neither here nor there it's like yeah, it's way too long for this podcast but what they're effectively doing is is that person instead goes the opposite and they go for the least polished, most ridiculous sounding thing, yeah. even if it's not even good because they're like, I know that they're not forcing it down my throat. Yes. Like, so they're like, as long as I know that there's no way that this is being fed to me by the record labels, they i not like that.
0: Yeah. I because I
1: mean, and most of the time it's, it's like, they like bad stuff. Yeah. Be like, cause it's not even that they like it. They just don't want to feel like they're having this music pushed on them
0: or sold to right. them. Right. By yeah. Yeah. the powers that be.
1: Well, now that, you know, we've traveled down that rabbit trail. I feel like this, like this band in general just has like the potential <laughs> so much for all of that just because of just the ambiguity that uh, <laughs> the music was at the time because they were just so not what that was. Their breakout song that they played actually on Saturday Night Live that we were talking about was Mr. Jones. Megan hates it, yep. and I love it. It was the type of song that makes me feel is perfect. It reminds me of like a 70s style rock song. It's like insanely catchy, but still has a real soul that no matter how catchy, it never makes you feel like you're listening to a pop song. What I mean by that is it's not like I feel like it was written for radio. It just feels like it was something that he needed to say.
0: Well, and let me just preface this by saying I don't hate it because I think it's a badly constructed or badly done song. It's just that I there's there's just. You know, when you get annoyed, like there's just a phrasing or a way that somebody sings something like, Mr. Johnson. Like he has this like weird way.
1: (laughs) Sorry. I'm personally offended.
0: Right? He has this like really weird way of being a little too whiny and pitchy at times, which I get it. It's like, there's, you know, elements of that, that seem like super emotional. And like, I totally understand. Like it's just, it's raw. just, I'm just here to say what I need to say. And it's like, it's cute. It's kitschy, but sometimes it just like really like grinds my ears. That's the only reason.
2: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) That's the only reason why I I can't handle that one. Cause I, I just don't, like he is spent his inflections, especially in that one. Just like, yeah, stop it.
1: <laughs> no, for sure. But I mean, but like, it's, it's super catchy, but I just don't feel like it's like written for the radio. No. Like, like I always play NHL 19 because yeah. anybody who follows a band knows that we really like football and hockey. And so all, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sitting there playing NHL 19. You hear a bunch of stupid songs yes. that sound like they were made purely for the radio or the video game. Yes. Like there's this song natural by imagine dragons and it's like. <sighs> This song sounds like the only reason they wrote it was for the sync licensing or just to be yeah. on the radio. It's like cuz who is singing about somebody being a, yeah. that's Cause like, you're a
2: natural at something that you don't like even feel like, this, like that about is there that like, a, topic? like
1: an emotion that ever invokes that from you you're like what is he doing looking at his like little kids like 8 year old baseball game and be like Cause you're a
2: maybe he's naturally better than him at everything i um, guess possible. but like so, that's the only thing i can think of.
0: Well i think that it i think that's already been kind of outed. They're making it because they know that it's going to be used for this X purpose, like you just said about the video game. And the one thing that I will absolutely give this guy as far as writing his melodies and his lyrics is I agree with you that he does write them from a perspective of he just has a story and something to say and figures out very, very cleverly and very uh, sophisticated uh, how to write that into his songs like I I think in my opinion he's kind of like the opposite of a Brandon Boyd and um uh Jen- Jenkins uh third eye blind
1: oh Stephen um, Jenkins yeah. Stephen
0: Jenkins he's like the op like the foil I should say to them and that I feel like both of those people have a lot to say and, and have these thoughts of like I want to write this and I want to specifically say this in my song
2: but they don't know how to write it
0: but yeah they don't put it in a really like clever or melodically like um pretty way that makes it seem very catchy and and um and have like has strong motifs they kind of just like oh these notes are in the key let me just do that and what i think is awesome about this guy is he really does have a sophistication for writing a melody by still keeping like very uh like verbose phrasing like he tells not just simple stories. Like if you actually listen to the music, like they're very detailed and very so- like sophisticated. It-
1: Something I like a Battle of Alanis set too. Yeah. This song, Mr.
3: Jones, um, I heard a interview that they were, they were interviewing the drummer, Jim Boyes. And he said at some point when they released this song, Mr. Jones, uh, the, it was a, such a hit, you know, yeah. in that, that town or probably like whole Berkeley or, you know, San Francisco area, uh, that he noticed, like, sometimes if you go to, like, a store, buy a pair of jeans, the store will put, like, a cassette or a CD or something in the back promoting Mr. Jones' song, just as as a single, Mm. so I was just blown away by that, you know, that was was really cool.
0: That's a really... That's actually pretty cool. Yeah,
1: I wish everybody would start doing that for us. Right? Yeah.
0: Damn it, <laughs> like, put red and blue yeah, in your shopping bags. Anything
1: in anything. I know, right? <laughs>
0: That's actually really sick. I
1: can see
2: it happening. Right? right? Tang dolls everywhere. Like little Tang dolls. just little
0: voodoo dolls of Zach.
2: And then they just poke me in the butt and I'm like, "Oop."
1: <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> well, after Mr. Jones anyway, like they were like he was super afraid. And when I say he, I mean, Adam, like the lead singer, he was super afraid of them blowing up too fast and burning out. So he decided he wasn't going to do any more promos or videos, which seemed like a great idea. But what was strange is that no matter, even though he stopped making more videos for the album, they just blew up bigger. Yeah. And another like interesting thing to talk about is what is it about certain bands that makes them blow up real fast, but then just like go away, like limp biscuit, for example, like they don't, only get huge to where everybody likes them, but then everybody hates them. Like I, what I think, what I personally think is that it's because the media pushed them so hard and everybody believed that they were supposed to like them. That once you got over the honeymoon phase, you realize you never really liked them that much in the first place.
0: No, I think it's just like contrarian effect. Just kind of like the Nickelback effect that everybody really loves to hate Nickelback because of the popularity. And I will say this, this is on another level though that I might not be I might not be onto something for the like the population yeah. as a whole, but at least for me. I wonder, because this is kind of my criticism of counting crows, is that they kind of seem a little bit like one trick ponies. And I and it as an artist, it actually makes me like ruminate on my own music and and try to make sure that this does this doesn't happen to me. Is that I especially with like Adam the lead singer, it's uh he has a very specific phrasing and style that is pretty strong and consistent throughout. Like there's really not a whole lot of diversity in the choices that he makes as a, as a vocalist and as a writer. And yeah. I wonder if this fizzle out effect, cause this sometimes happens to me just as an observer or an audience member of like, you know, light or light life taking in art is that I will get really excited about somebody and then realize they're a one trick pony. And then that's that's, like, Oh, you're a genius that you can do that. Well, not really because that's all you got. You can't really do, you're not really versatile. And I'm not saying he needs to come out with like a reggae record, but I'm saying that maybe what happens is there's the honeymoon effect and they're like, okay, more. And you just kind of keep giving them more of the same. And then they're like, eh, well, I've already seen that. I want something different, but still good on the, flip side of that, and maybe, again, people could be like, you're crazy, all of his shit sounds the same too, is I would think a person who is good at that is like Michael Jackson. I feel like he actually created a diverse like discography that you can know it's Michael Jackson, it's his sound, it's his touch on everything, but there's a lot of music that is versatile. Like it doesn't all sound the same. There's a lot
1: of collaboration, though. I think you know really? what I mean. Like okay. a lot of different producers. A lot of people think we're yeah, with them, like yeah. working with different ideas for other people. That it's like not like in isolation. Because okay. the the way that I would probably differ on all of this. Yeah. Is do you discredit Thomas Edison for coming up with the light bulb?
0: No, 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 no no no, not, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I know.
1: I know. That's what you're I'm saying. I'm not taking yes. away from
0: his talent. I'm what saying I, to answer your question yes. about the burning out and why do people lose interest.
1: Oh. So, what I think it is, is I think it's that people, you know, having an ego, they try to drag it out too long.
0: Mm. It's like
1: there there is a shelf life for everything that you're going to do.
0: The artist or the
1: audience? Oh, the artist. It okay. The artist does. Because after a certain point, you are you. Every facet of you is just what you are. And you, you really don't aren't capable of much more. You're not
0: unlimited. You're, you are, yes, exactly. you are a culmination of your experiences and your. Like exactly. Metallica. So once you've given
1: everybody everything that you can do, if people still want more of that, like you can keep making CDs. If people are just like, no, 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 we just like your thing. So do that. But to expect somebody to really be able to do something completely different. I mean, it's kind of like Prince, like, yeah. Like we always say, like there was a point where he was huge because, you know, people thought it was new and that was interesting. And then he just had his diehard fans for the rest of yeah. time because he was just always only going to be like, able to be Prince. Can
0: you really reinvent yourself, quote unquote, without completely just like losing just what makes you
1: who you are? Yeah, exactly. And even if like even people like Michael Jackson, it's like it's almost like what was he ever? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there was there ever a, <laughs> a defining album that was like, no, this is me. Kind of just wasn't. I mean, even when he was a solo artist in the very beginning, it was very you know like like seventies funk. Like that was the first album. Then the next album is going to be Thriller, which was produced by freaking
2: Quincy. Quincy Jones? Yes, Quincy Jones. Exactly. I feel like Thriller is his defining.
1: But it, but it's not, though, because it's not yeah. really him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like a lot of it is Quincy Jones.
0: And I've, okay. I've actually thought about, when we've ta- discussed this, using him as an artist of the week, because that would be, I think, no, I think a lot to dive yeah. into. But no, I mean, to, to wrap it up into your point, I see what you're saying. You're like, if, if you're just being true to yourself and not really, like you said, collaborating too much.
2: You only have so much time. You only have so much yeah. to well, Metallica would beg to differ,
1: but that's another story. No, but Metallica <laughs> wouldn't because people hated them for so yeah. long. I guess Until true. they went back to a style closer to what the style that they liked yes. was. That's true, because Death Magnetic sucked. Like That's that funny album. that you say that. I
2: thought Death Magnetic
1: was fucking awesome. That's so
2: sick. I thought it was like. No, the, pe- the little, albums that people one.
1: hate are freaking Fuel. and uh, Not Fuel, sorry. It's uh, Load and then Reload. Oh, yeah. Like those two, and then Saint Anger. That those three albums are the ones that people hate. But when Death Magnetic came back, they were like, "Shit, Metallica's back to being what Metallica is." Huh. You know, back again to the the main point. After the tour, he went back to Berkeley, and people were camping out in front of his house. And so he decided it was just time to move. And so he <laughs> went to LA, which I think is counterintuitive because yeah. if everybody is stalking you in your hometown, but you're a huge national success, <laughs> how is moving to an even bigger you know. area
2: like LA going to help people live all the time? Yeah.
1: And even then. more strange and pretentiously, he started bartending at the Viper room I did that as a me. way to like, be like, Oh, I'm just going to be like a normal person. I'm going to have like, a, like what? <laughs> Like,
0: Like I at the Viper
1: Room, as if a million celebrities weren't in there all the time.
0: I mean, just like, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but like I've always said, when I actually know about these people as people, most of the time I just can't stand other Mm -hmm. artists, but...
1: (laughs) But <laughs> it it's so basic. It's like, and then to lay even more low, he starts dating Jennifer Aniston. Oh, right. And then Courtney Cox or vice versa. I don't know what the order Monica was. Monica and Rachel. Yes. Both. Well, yeah,
0: during the time when friends was at its like peak. Yeah. That was the like, joke. They, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to lay. I just can't stand the fame, but I'm going to date these very high profile actors. Like whatever. Dude. They're
2: like, oh, who didn't he hook up with? on I want friends? him and Ross to fight in front of me now.
1: I want him and you to fight in front of <laughs> you. Right now.
2: Okay,
1: so, and
0: I want it to turn sexual. That yes,
1: would be, it will always. Yep.
2: Anyways, he got...
1: Like so when he finally like, you know, pulled himself out of this, like, oh like I'm an artist that's like hanging low but like also doing this weird public thing, he decided he was gonna start working on music again. And in nineteen ninety-six they were released Recovering the Satellites with the hit Long December. It was also a huge success. They didn't have anywhere near as many great songs on this album, at least in my opinion. Like I feel like Long December was really the only one I really liked that much. I did think some of the stuff was interesting because uh the I'm not sleeping song was the weird one oh, that we were yeah. watching where like the just the structure was weird and the build was weird that was like really I thought cool. there was a lot of cool stuff that they did but it just it wasn't like commercially the same and like it almost almost makes me wonder like does it seem like fame ruins people's ability to write it's like so many bands have like such a prolific first album and like like I feel like Pearl Jam is a great example of that yeah. their first album was insane and then after that, it just like got worse and worse and worse. And that's not to say that they didn't have songs after that, because there was like you know a couple. But the entire album of ten was freaking awesome. But well, but, don't uh,
0: they say that the like whole theory behind that is you have your whole life to write your first album, but then you only have blah 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 amount of time to write this the next ones. That's kind of like what the industry. Yeah, but but works. some
1: people do a great job all the way through. I yeah, mean, look at like. I feel you. Like an excellent example who's somebody we're going to get into later because this is like Bruce Springsteen. He has a million great albums. I mean, maybe people will say like, oh, like Born in the USA is like maybe like the best one to the general public. But I mean, I could name...
0: So only some people fame ruins their ability. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like I think some people like they just have it in them just to continue just doing it. I think Cheryl it's Crow.
0: No, oh, I was gonna say Cheryl Crow. Don't talk good.
1: about that. Oh. <laughs>
0: just because prior to fame she was awesome, and then she's like, now I want to soak up the sun, and I'm like, God, <laughs> yeah, I know, dude, You're
1: like just don't do that. Go
0: back to being upset. Somebody uh, soak suck-
1: Yeah. Somebody, well, even Alanis Morissette. Somebody break up. Yeah.
0: Somebody break up with her and give her a drinking habit so that she can write again.
1: Right. Because well, Atlanta Morissette's first album was killer, and then the rest were whatever totally agree i think
3: fame can ruin you know the artist's way to write songs and um, really like put the feelings out there i don't know i feel like bands or singer artists before getting big or hitting you know big time they're kind of like more humble in a way and they kind of like have that that passion you know that drives them to do things their way and once they you know, signed by by a record label or they're big. They're just playing for to just to satisfy the record label or the manager that is yeah. you know asking them to just make this song because I want to make a huge hit radio and I want to make money like so, it's a job now. Yeah, yeah instead more, of their passion, exactly. And
0: also, kind of to piggyback on that, which your point made me think of something, something that we kind of talked about in the last episode that I I myself even had to deal with is then you start feeling like you've got all these opinions from the outside either you know music critics or even just regular fans telling you what they think they want to hear from you next mm-hmm. and that can somehow like bleed into your ability as an artist to write from a genuine place because while personally I love our second EP What's Left of the Lizard and I prefer it to our first EP I did find that I was listening to a lot of outside you know not criticism in a negative way, but everybody's feedback, even fans about what they felt like they wanted to hear. And thank God I felt like it was, in my opinion, a success and it helped me grow. But if you let that get too much in your head, you can then lose yourself and really lose what made you good. And I wonder if part of the fame isn't so much like the fame, but all the feedback that you're getting kind of perverting and and jading or, or... twisting mm-hmm. it's like you're yeah, shell
2: shocked right
1: you know like yeah I, was from gonna the say, stage. I, I really like this because i feel like we all have a different perspective what's funny is my perspective is that, is that it's like a confirmation thing like for me personally
2: oh, like you did it and i don't have to do it again
1: yeah, like yeah. like for me personally, like sometimes I feel like that. I feel like if I can only
2: prove to myself that I could have done it. I see. I don't even care anymore. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? I kind of get that cuz I can see after like if we're big for like a few years, the passion's gone. I don't want to be like you know, what do you proving? Rolling Stones still playing shows when I'm in my 70s it's no, like No, I I, mean, I think that's dope. I think that's like, cool. Like that, that they could do be that. cool, but like I'm just too late. Like I want to do other things. I'm like like I love music Sting and stuff. Comedy? Yeah, like stand yeah. up would be fun, but like the thing is is like I would still love to play shows, but I wouldn't want to be a touring band that's doing it like every day of the week for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Like once I hit like 40, I'd like to be like, okay, I'm going to get my own dude ranch. Well, you know, we're starting to
1: drift off for it being maybe a little bit too long. So we're going to start to, you know, kind of roll this up. So I want to talk just real quickly about their influences. Because until I looked at it, I never really made these connections, but it was so apparent no, when I, was I did. No, I was
0: going to say, this is, I actually yeah. do want to know this.
1: Um, so main influences are Van Morrison and Bruce Springsteen. Makes sense. And I really love both of them. And I almost feel like an idiot for not picking up on the Van Morrison one sure. first, because Van Morrison is so blatantly obvious with the organs and just like the basic strumming guitar parts that remind me of just stuff like Wild Night by Van, Van Morrison. It's almost like it seems like Van Morrison like helped them write Mister Jones with that like that whole style. I mean, even with the guitar it,
2: strums, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was gonna
1: say even with Adam Durwitz's like delivery, it's it reminds me so much of like that kind of Van Morrison thing mm. that yeah. it just they both always like okay. I want to compare songs like Round Here yeah. and then songs like Into the Mystic by Van Morrison. They both sound so reluctant, and it's like oh, this is like another thing that's like it almost like gets me right in the feels they they both sound so reluctant that it Feels like they're only giving you a part of the story because it's, it's as much as they can actually reveal of themselves when they're it's like singing too it without like Painful.
2: painting themselves. Yeah, exactly. Too much. Like it's like this is oh. as much as they can actually
1: like give it because they don't even want to let you know all of it because it's just too much. That's a, mm.
2: that's very interesting. And nope. there's so many no music has emotion like that. Oh anymore. yeah, no, not at all. Like nothing yeah. that you're going to hear nowadays. That's like nuts. And I w- like I would love to hear something like that come out again. That's like real. Yeah, you we'll know, just have to make it. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> well, we'll just make it. It's true. Yeah. And then as far as Bruce Springsteen goes, like when I listen to stuff like Long Long December versus something like Living Proof, they have this weird uplifting feeling that I can't really describe any other way than like when I listen to it, it really just makes me feel just alive. Like it reminds me of how human I am. And like just like all of a sudden, like you just feel it like, oh, wow, I am like this day. Like this is a thing. I
0: really think it's his storytelling ability. And it's something that you know, in studying this for the podcast really helped re-remind me of what I want to do in this next DP is, is not just write something that's a pretty picture with a bow on it. Like, I mean, obviously everything has meaning, but sometimes I, I cut things short or I hold back because I feel like, oh, but big picture wise, I want a, a certain simplicity to it. But I think that he has a nice, he has such bravery in that he just says, no, I don't care how, how, bizarrely convoluted and detailed this story is because that's life, you know, I'm going to tell it in its entirety and his, his bizarre specifics that are just like, you couldn't even, it's not like a generic love song or breakup song. Like, and I say bizarre in like a good way, like that. I just couldn't even fathom how, you know, it's real because there's no way somebody could have made that up. It's way too specific and it's way too poignant. And that's what I, I really admire about him and what I want to try to achieve in the next record. Well, and in it's nuts that
1: it's so weird how we can summarize it all up in one song, yes. but then leave such specific details. Like, how do you summarize something so well, well and, and still be so specific in your summarizing?
0: And I think that that's like my struggle is that I want to tell a story about like with my lyrics and my songs. I want to tell a story, but I feel like if I get too specific, I'm not going to tell it. I need to get broader so that people can see a big yeah, picture because yeah. if I get too specific, I'm going to lose people and be like, well, what's this line mean and how does that connect to the next and what does that mean in the chorus? And he does just such a freaking good job of that. And I mean, you, I think that that's what what you're picking up on not to speak for you, but I mean, at least that's how I feel about it when oh. you're saying like a feeling alive and feeling
1: hundred percent. Like think really about the line that connected. he says in round here. That's the big one leading into the chorus where he says she has trouble acting normal when she's nervous. Yeah. Like that, that line, like it's the, the pre-chorus line effectively leading into the whole chorus. Like that is just like,
2: that's like a specific every, person. in, a re,
1: in a, You know, resonates with everyone. Yeah, You know what I mean? They but just, he's
0: talking about a specific interaction with a very specific person. Yeah, it's oh very yeah.
1: cool. They, they've they had a couple collaborations that all make sense. I mean, you listen to the Wallflowers, and to me, like, I, well, I, I keep saying to me, and it really cracks me up. But, yeah, so they collaborated with Wallflowers on 6th Avenue Heartache, or at least Adam sung backup vocals on that and helped him with the writing. Makes sense. And, you, you know, like, in retrospect, when you don't know any of this stuff, you go back and you go, holy crap, the Wallflowers sound like a... Counting Crows cover band. Like, the, oh, like yeah. it almost sounds like that band was spawned out of the fact that Counting Crows existed. Yeah. Like well, it's
0: Jacob Dylan's the son.
1: Yeah. Bob Dylan's son. Yeah. Exactly. And then he uh, had written songs with Ryan Adams, which yeah. again, like, that, that makes, makes perfect he sense.
0: He's a storyteller kind of guy, singer songwriter.
1: If anybody has not had the opportunity to listen to this, you have to go listen to the Counting Crows cover version, A Friend of the Devil mm-hmm. by the Grateful yes. Dead. I hate the grateful dead okay. there there it. is nothing about them that i like and maybe you guys need to go into the metalheads group and tell me what i should like yeah. because god damn it i have tried so hard cuz their logo is so fucking yes. cool just, everything about it yeah. is just so bad and i don't i don't understand what the appeal ever was maybe it just you know it was a, again a movement like, who knows? but Yeah, just cultural mean, thing, yeah. Just, like a
3: jam band?
2: Yeah,
1: but to me, jam band is an excuse for we don't want to have to actually sit down and write something. Right. Like, they just, just do it. Like, okay, cool. We're just going to go forever about this. It's like, I can do that. And if you guys want me to, I will do that. But this our, Third of all, yeah. our 30B 30, yeah. will be just me and Roy and Zach on Jam Odysseys forever just to prove that and we can, can we'll do go. it. But believe me, it's uh, garbage. But Counting <laughs> Crows version... A Friend of the Devil by Grateful Dead. It's like they wrote the song. The, the way that their version is, is is so
2: fucking cool.
0: It's a true cover yeah. because it's their own arrangement. And yeah, it's just
2: so yeah. different than what their original when song was. When Scott like. showed it to me, um, I like honestly, I think it's probably one of the best covers ever done. Yeah. Like it's just so much better than the original. Sounding-wise, the mood, everything about it just is it's like they really executed what the song was supposed to be. Yeah. Oh my god, like night and day difference, you know? And the last. Very last thing. He
1: also, Adam Durwitz, helped write a bunch of soundtrack songs to Josie and the Pussycats. Yay! Which I love Josie and the Pussycats. So, So,
0: sorry, say that again.
1: Oh, no, I was just saying that that Adam helped write a lot of the songs on Josie and the Pussycats, which are all originals. They were not performed by him. They were performed by a band I believe called Letters to Cleo, but he helped write all those songs. And it makes sense because, you know, he's an excellent songwriter and all those songs were catchy as shit. Oh
0: yeah, they were. That's hilarious.
1: Well, for our final segment, do they rock?
0: The end of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are new, we all go around the table and we say whether or not the band or the Artist of the Week rocks to us. All right, so here we go. We're gonna go one by one. I will start and I'm going to say, yes, the Counting Crows do rock because I really do appreciate, I really do appreciate their writing, the thought that goes into it. They were very original. They had their own sound. They did whatever they wanted and it didn't really matter what the mainstream was trying to pigeon them, pigeonhole them into. And I, I think they just really execute and kill it every time. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say they rock.
2: The Tang says, Sha-la-la-la-la, yes, they do rock. (laughs) Because, I mean, honestly, just based off of that song, because I really don't know very many of their songs very well. But, I mean, from what we've discussed, I think it's really cool. I see a lot of parallels with our band. Roy? I think Hunter
3: Crows uh, definitely rocks. Nice. Uh, Because, I mean, like, back in the day, they really brought that new scene of music you know that new culture huh. of sound and and everything so yeah i really like the You're the songs how they like their structure you know they're really like the musicianship and in, in that band is excellent and plus the lyrics has got a meaning to it so i re- i really like it and i think they're rock for sure nice
0: scott yep
1: i agree i say canon crows 100 percent rocks that's why i picked them I feel like it's very rare that you find a band who has the capability of being so catchy while still being able to be so emotionally relevant. It's like, Every single time when we talked about this on the podcast before, that pop music is about being catchy. Mm -hmm. So people usually immediately dismiss music that's catchy Mm -hmm. as something that's meaningless because obviously it has to be manufactured or it has to be created by somebody because why would it be so good if it wasn't? I mean, that's obviously not just a normal person writing, but when somebody has the ability to be able to translate something that they feel To everyone, which is what I actually believe catchy is. I don't believe that just because something's catchy, it's bad. I feel like if you have the ability to write a song that is catchy, and what catchy is to me is makes it relatable to everyone. Yeah. But then you also have a meaning that also through that catchy message is able to actually make people feel something emotionally, then you did your job better than anybody on this planet.
0: Nice. Well, on that note, We'll go ahead with our outro. I think this was a really cool, productive podcast. A lot of interesting things. Super glad to have Roy, our drummer, joining us. Yeah. He better be here every episode or else I'll weep. But <laughs> weep. I will weep. Next week will be my week. Next and then weep. Next week. It'll be my week for Band of the Week, Artist of the Week. And hopefully we can get Roy the week after that
3: yeah oh we'll yeah be. all right so
0: find us online metal is our band m-e-t-t-l-e southern california alt rock band we are on spotify we're on apple music anywhere you can find music uh please go on facebook like our page and add yourself to our facebook group metalheads we discuss everything in the podcast on there there's a big group of you um we love to hear what you have to say if you hate what we say let us know drag us Tell us all you want to tell us in that group. And yeah, go listen to our music. And on that note, have a great night.
1: Tang out. Sha la 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 la. Yeah. Tang out. Yeah. That's
0: what uh-huh. you're supposed to say.
1: <laughs>